Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, December 3rd, 2022. It's been 3,202 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 283 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the Kremlin is trying to control the information space to assuage Russian war hawks who continue to express frustration and disappointment with the lack of progress in Ukraine. Second, we maintain that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing unrest inside and outside the Kremlin. If there continue to be military failures, there is a remote chance Russia could face a regime change. Third, We maintain that the risk of terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure is high, with another round of attacks likely in the near future. Fourth, we maintain Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Fifth, we maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction, is possible. Sixth, we maintain that Russia is conducting stealth mobilization and may be preparing for the second wave of partial mobilization in January 2023. Seventh, we assess the slowdown in combat operations on multiple axes will end in the next 10 to 25 days, with winter weather conditions starting to sweep across Ukraine. Eighth, we maintain that neither belligerent will institute a winter pause. Ninth, we maintain that President Putin's inner circle is actively targeting Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu for dismissal and replacement due to continued military failures in Ukraine. Tenth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Eleventh, We maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Twelfth, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished, but remains a possibility in the next 40 to 70 days. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. 
Along the Kharkiv-Luhansk administrative border, fighting continued in Novoselivsky, with the situation complicated. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, and Ukrainian source Deep State claimed Novoselivsky was recaptured by Russian forces, while Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, government official Radion Moroshnik and Russian state media source RIA Novosti reported fighting continued. The general staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported positions in the village were shelled by artillery and hit by airstrikes. Mercenaries with Rybar reported that fighting was ongoing in Kuzemivka, which is adjacent to Novoselivsky. In our assessment, Novoselivsky remains contested and is likely swapping control based on attacks and counterattacks. The front in this region is frozen, creating a no-man's land that is two to three kilometers wide. The GSAFU reported that Ploshanka was shelled throughout the day, and we continue to assess that there is fighting for control of the village on the western edge of the town, based on previous reports from multiple Russian sources. There was agreement from the GSAFU, mercenaries with Wargonzo, and Ukrainian sources that Ukrainian troops have reached the western edge of Chervonopopivka, with the situation very difficult for Russian forces. Wargonzo also reported fighting near Zhitlivka, the Russian MOD had previously reported Ukrainian attacks on the village over the last two weeks. We can't assess how far the advance is here, but Ukrainian forces may be at the P-66 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. Ukrainian forces reportedly continue to advance closer to Kremina from the southwest, moving through the forested areas. Positional fighting continued east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with no change in the situation. Rockets fired by HIMARS hit Russian positions in Starobilsk, Svantova, and Khoroshe, according to officials with the LNR. Serhi Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported a 13th settlement had been liberated, but didn't say which one. We have good intel on which town, but we will respect operational security. In northeast Donetsk, after a week of intense fighting from Spirna to Mayorsk, both belligerents appeared to be consolidating positions and bringing up reinforcements. There wasn't any noteworthy activity north of Solidar. Significant fighting erupted again on the eastern edge of Solidar, with no change in the situation. Fighting continued east and southeast of Bakhmut, with neither belligerent able to move the line of conflict. Some of the heaviest fighting in Ukraine yesterday was likely four kilometers south of Bakhmut in Opitne, where private military company or PMC Wagner Group is trying to break through Ukrainian defenses. Russian sources claimed that Ukrainian troops tried to recapture Mayorsk and were unsuccessful. Ukrainian sources reported a Ukrainian offensive failed in the Bakhmut area, but didn't state specifically where. The GSAFU reported that up to 70 bodies of dead Russian troops were brought to Horlivka from the Bakhmut front. We have repeatedly reported that both belligerents are suffering heavy losses, with PMC Wagner penal units fighting for Russia being used as little more than cannon fodder and speed bumps. In southwest Donetsk, operational tempo also slowed, with mostly positional fighting along the front. After pushing the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, to the border of Piski, positional fighting near Pervomaisky continued, with a Ukrainian attempt to enter western Piski failing. 
Honestly, we can't believe we're still mentioning the village five months after the initial attack. The DNR tried to regain lost ground south of the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske. They did not succeed. Both belligerents relied more on artillery in Marinka, and the 1st Army Corps likely had to refit and bring in replacement troops after intense fighting in the city center produced nothing. Russian forces attempted to flank Marinka with an advance on Krasnohorivka, which is to the north. The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian forces launched an unsuccessful attack on Mikilsky without any evidence of any kind, while the GSAFU reported that Pavlivka was shelled throughout the day. We maintain that the settlement is a no-man's land, with Ukraine sustaining a presence in the northwest corner. The People's Militia of the DNR Telegram Channel released their 5 o'clock follies, claiming without any evidence at all that they destroyed one self-propelled 152-millimeter howitzer, one D-30 122-millimeter howitzer, five tanks, and six units of, quote, armored and automotive vehicles. Surveillance camera video showed the occupied town of Snizhne apparently struck by rockets fired by HIMARS. If HIMARS were used, it was a deep strike on the town 80 kilometers from the line of conflict. The video clip was inconsistent with a Tochkyu strike, and Ukraine hasn't used the short-range ballistic missile system in months. Ukrainian forces executed 145 fire missions on the occupied territories, and outside of Marinka and Bakhmut, Russian artillery fire was unusually light on the southwest Donetsk axis. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling by both belligerents across the Dnipro. Russian forces conducted 28 fire missions on the Free Ukraine territories west of the Dnipro River, targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure, especially in the city of Kherson. One civilian was injured and an outpatient oncology or cancer treatment center was damaged. There are renewed reports that Russian forces are withdrawing from Novokhovka and Kohovka to move out of Ukrainian artillery range. There have been repeated claims that Russian troops have withdrawn from both towns that have not come to fruition. The recent destruction of at least two significant ammunition depots in the last four days is likely spurning Russian troops to move concentrations further east. But in our assessment, we find a total withdrawal very unlikely. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, released a significant update on the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Four of the reactors are in a cold shutdown, while reactors 5 and 6 have been brought back to hot shutdown to provide power, steam, and heat for plant operations. ZNPP is supplied by a single 750-kilovolt external power supply from the Ukrainian grid and a backup 330-kilovolt line connected to the Zaporizhia thermal power plant. Rosatom told the IAEA their engineers were working on restoring a second 330-kilovolt connection. The plant and the immediate area have not been shelled since November 20th. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi reiterated that the IAEA regards ZNPP as a Ukrainian facility and expressed concern about the decision-making situation since the Rosatom takeover. Grossi said there are open contradictions regarding the plant's chain of command, which could negatively impact nuclear safety and security. 
While there is rampant speculation that Russia, Ukraine, and the IAEA have settled on a framework for Russia's withdrawal and the creation of a demilitarized zone around the power plant, the statement from the IAEA only reported that negotiations are ongoing. There was only sporadic artillery and tank fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Juliapola, to Orihiv, to Mali Shirbaki. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Vitaly Kim, Mykolaiv Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Russian forces fired a single S-300 anti-aircraft missile at Ochakiv, which landed in the, quote, water area without causing damage. High winds have suspended ferry service across the Kerch Strait for the second day in a row. Poor weather is also hampering repair efforts of the Kerch Bridge. The Russian Black Sea Fleet has four missile carriers on patrol capable of launching 24 caliber cruise missiles. It's the largest deployment of Kilo-class submarines and missile carriers in weeks. Natalia Humanyuk, Director of Communications for Operational Command South, warned that another massive missile attack is likely being planned. In western and central Ukraine, in Dnipropetrovsk, Russian forces attacked Nikopol, launching 30 Grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS. Russian forces again targeted the solar power plant, destroying up to 50 panels in the strike. Two dozen houses were damaged in the attack, but there were no major injuries. In north and northeast Ukraine, the GSAFU reported the villages of Kremyak and Chai in the Cherniev Oblast were shelled. There wasn't any information on damage or casualties at the time of recording. Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Hromadas of Seredina Buda, Snopnovhorodsk, Krasnopilia, and Bilopilia were attacked by Russian forces from across the international border. Farm equipment was damaged in Znobnovhorodsk. The rest of the shells, mortars, and a grenade dropped from a drone missed their targets or landed in unpopulated areas. Renewed fighting was reported in Yahidne, with Ukrainian forces advancing from Kotlearivka. Ukrainian sources claim the attack was successful, while Russian forces claim it wasn't. There wasn't any social intelligence, pictures, or videos to support either claim, so we left the map unchanged. So this is normally where we would put in our special report, but unfortunately I have to bump it again. So as you know, I have been sick, and I tried desperately to record the entire episode today, and as you can probably hear, my voice is toast. So in an effort to preserve it, and to preserve the integrity of the special report, I'm going to record it and publish it tomorrow. I really truly appreciate your understanding. And if anybody has any stellar home remedies, please share them with me on the Discord or Patreon or Instagram or Twitter or Post or Mass. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.